books over there. All right, let's open up our Bibles and we'll read uh, from Isaiah. And um, Daniel's going to come up and uh, preach for us as we open up a new series as we head into Christmas. Um, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through to 7. I'll be reading from the ESV version. Just a reminder as we read this that this is the Word of God. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on, on them has lion shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every brute of, of the trampling warrior, in battle to, uh, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Thanks, Peter. Good morning, everyone. Uh, again, it's always a privilege to be able to open up God's word, uh, God's word, God's word with you. Um, and I have the privilege of diving into the second uh, sermon in our series on Advent. Advent. Um, growing up, my family was never much into celebrating Advent. Maybe you're similar, you're kind of uh, unsure as to what Advent is. Uh, as far as you know, it's something that Christians do around the time of Christmas, but that's about it. Um, for me, it actually uh, goes a little bit further than that. My family was actually uh, never much into celebrating Christmas either. Uh, I remember when I was a little kid, I'd be super jealous of, obviously, my friends who made a big deal about Christmas. I'll go over to my mate's houses, and they've got, like, all these decorations up and running. And I'd ask my mom, Mom, why, why aren't we celebrating Christmas? And I still remember my mom going, oh, that's a pagan festival. You know, the tree, the Christmas tree that, um, you know, families put up, that's actually a pagan symbol. So we don't celebrate Christmas. Um, way to take out a joy from a child. Um, I... I don't know if she was kidding or not, because um, I, I know that, because uh, I I'm come from an immigrant family, and, uh, you know, they were breaking their backs just to, you know, put food on the table at the time, so maybe that was it. Um, uh, growing up, I kind of, like, you know, attribute that um, reason to it, but I still wanted to celebrate Christmas. Um, at that time, by the way, I went to church. My parents were Christian. Uh, I grew up in church, and uh, we kind of did celebrate Christmas in a way, you know, on, on Christmas uh, Day. Uh, I knew why we celebrated Christmas because it's obviously the birth of Jesus. Uh, I, I knew it had something to do with that. But I still wanted presents, right? I mean, 
seven, eight-year-old Daniel, I, I still wanted a tree with heaps of gifts. I, I still wanted that. Um, to be honest, that was more important at the time to me, right? Uh, so I don't know how you guys grew up. Maybe you uh, grew up in a better household than me and you actually celebrated Christmas. Um, but be that as it may, uh, when, you set, uh, when you set up a Christmas tree, if you do, um, I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the typical tradition is to start to kind of buy the gifts earlier. Is that right? And then wrap them up and then put them under the Christmas tree, right? Is, is that right? Nods, yet, yet. So I've never had that joy, but um, apparently that's how you do it. Um, the reason why they do that is to generate a sense of uh, expectation, a kind of sort of, I guess, excitement and longing for Christmas morning. Uh, to finally wake up on the morning of Christmas and together as a family, sort of, you know, unwrap the gifts that you've been staring at since the beginning of December. That's what Christmas, uh, the Christmas season is about. And I think that image. Uh, is a great little sort of uh, microcosm, if you will, of, of the season of Advent. Um, and to be honest, uh, even as a Christian, um, I did not have much of an experience or a sense of the importance of Advent until fairly recently, uh, if I can confess before you all. Uh, maybe it's because I grew up in a family that didn't celebrate Christmas uh, in a way a lot of my friends used to. Uh, but this image of, of gifts underneath a tree, that sort of unspoken rule that you cannot open them until the actual Christmas day, that kind of feeling that a child feels as he or she stares at those wrapped gifts is the same kind of feeling uh, we want to feel during the season of Advent, okay? Um, the promise that our parents make for us, that underneath that sort of gift wrapping, inside that box, is a present just for me, that idea, you know, Advent and the Christmas season are both in one sense about promise. It's a promise to our loved ones that we will give them what they love. That thing they've told us that they've wanted for a very long time. It's a time when we stare at that wrapped present, hoping that our loved ones heard us properly and remembered properly and waiting for that Christmas morning to unwrap it and, be, uh, and see that promise fulfilled. And that's why we are jumping back in time a little bit in the Bible story before the birth of Jesus to a time when our Heavenly Father promised His children a kind of present uh, that we wanted and longed for. You might be familiar with that passage that, I, uh, that Peter just read. It's, it's one of the most famous uh, so-called prophecies of Jesus. And prophecy is that kind of hibby-jibby kind of word that we sort of go, oh, that's, that's a hard word to understand. And in a way it is, but in another, in another sense, in this sense, um, it, it's, it's a promise, Prophecy is a promise. So often we get it wrong. We kind of look at biblical prophecies and we go, oh, it's a prediction of the end times. Sometimes it can be, but, but more so a prophecy in the biblical sense is God's promise to his children. Okay? God's promise to his children. And sometimes, as it is with our earthly parents, we often misunderstand that promise. Uh, we misunderstand uh, our parents, when we were kids, they promised something and we mishear, uh, mishear them and we expect 
something from them, but it's not something that they really are promising to give to us. Sometimes the present they buy for us is, in fact, so much better than what we imagine. So we're going to spend our first half just exploring that concept a little bit, the idea of a promise that is misunderstood. And then after that, we'll dig a little bit more into the promise and the present itself. So those are the two points, uh, a promise uh, misunderstood uh, and a promise ultimately kept. And just to make clear the point that God is a father who really is in the business of promising good things to his children, this promisey or uh, promisey, prophet, uh, prophecy, promise, promisey, it's just one over 300. This is just one of over 300 promise, uh, prophecies of the same particular promise. Uh, it isn't just a passing word that God kind of says. It's a repeated, serious, and solemn promise that God makes to his children. It's a promise that God will one day bring people who are living in darkness into a great light. That's verse 2. That one day God will bring prosperity and joy to his people. That's verse 3. That God will one day bring an eternal peace where even conflict and fighting and wars will be a thing of the past. That's verses 4 and 5. All of this is going to happen through the coming of a person, a child, a son, a king. And we as good Christians know that this promise was kept, right? That in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, a child, a son, a king was indeed born. But here's the thing. God's people at the time, both at the time of Isaiah and at the time of Jesus, they didn't quite understand these words. When Jesus was born into the world, when Jesus ministered and taught, to the people of Israel, in, in reality, they were not expecting him. They were not expecting someone like Jesus to be this Messiah. Even the closest of Jesus' disciples, the 12, they thought that this child, this son, this king, would lead him into a great uh, political revolution to restore the nation of Israel, to, to kick out the uh, invading Romans, that he would become their king and bring about a physical kind of golden age of prosperity and riches. In fact, if you read one of the four Gospels, the Gospel of Mark, it's the shortest one of them, that the main theme, one of the main themes of that particular Gospel is this idea that Jesus was misunderstood by everyone. He keeps being misunderstood. And then in, in Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 21, he actually just says to them outright, oh, you guys don't understand. His, his words are, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? See, when we misunderstand a promise, doesn't that make us feel that the promise wasn't kept? A misunderstood promise feels like a broken promise. Hope turns into disappointment. And the people of God uh, misunderstood God's promise in, in two ways, in its timing and in its content. Think about the timing factor. 
when we pray, when we ask God to show up in our lives, how often do we confuse his actual commitment to answering our prayers with the actual timing? See, often Christians misunderstand God's timing, and because we misunderstand God's timing, we often get disappointed in God. Because he doesn't seem to be doing anything about our situation when we pray. We've all been there, haven't we? I've asked God to help me in a particular difficulty, and he doesn't seem to be. Where is he? Maybe you've had that season where you've struggled with that particular habitual sin, and you've asked God multiple times, God, help me, but I failed again this week. Where is he? This is where the prophet Isaiah has a lesson for us. Look at the passage with me again. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Do you hear it? He's speaking as if this prophecy, this promise, has already happened. That's how confident Isaiah is. Isaiah is so confident that he speaks of a future event as if it is a past event that he's describing. Isaiah trusts in God so much that God will certainly do what he says he will do, that for him, it's as certain as if it's already happened. Timing is, isn't an issue for Isaiah. He trusts God. God promises to do something, and that's good enough for him. Friends, God will do what he said he would do. But not in our timing, not even in the way that we expect, but he will do it. Now the question this Advent season for us is, do, do we trust him like this? Think about it. How much faith is in a person who speaks of God's biblical promises in the past tense, so sure that he will do what he said he will do? God, you have helped me. You have delivered me. You have overcome my sin. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you will find phrases like that sprinkled all throughout. See, this Advent season is another moment where God calls on us to trust in Him. Advent is proof that He is trustworthy. Why would He fail us in our need when He has never failed us yet? It's a call to trust. And secondly, the content of God's promise is often misunderstood by his people. In the Isaiah prophecy, the people of Israel, as they heard it again and again and again, and as Pastor Paul preached last week, there was a 400 year of silence. They had some time to think about it and meditate on this passage, right? Uh, they started to uh, believe that this promise of rescue was from a people not from their sin. They had come to believe, after 400 or so years, that God's promise was to primarily restore a kingdom on earth 
rather than invite them into the kingdom of heaven. When we look to God and his word, even on this side of the promise, even on this side of Jesus' birth, even when we have Jesus, I think the lesson for us is to really ask ourselves that question. Don't we get Jesus wrong so often in our lives as well? I don't know about you, but personally, when I look at, I guess, the misunderstanding kind of uh, Israelites and the, the Jews uh, during the ministry of Jesus, I kind of scoff at them when I read the, uh, the gospel story. How could they miss it? But if I'm honest with myself, I, miss, I misunderstand Jesus so often in my own life, and I'm sure you do too. I mean, we know the contents of God's promise here in Isaiah. A child is born, a son is giving, uh, given. That's Jesus, obviously. But, but don't we misunderstand him all too often? We say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. But we don't listen to him, do we? We say that we know him all the time. But really, do we know him? We don't even know much about him. We rarely read about him. We rarely talk to him or do much to live like him. Am I describing some of us here? And like many of the people that misunderstand God's promise when Jesus finally came, we often let our circumstances interpret the content of God's promises rather than his word. So this Advent season is also then a call for God's people to learn. To learn about God just a little bit more, to learn about his heart for his people, his plan to rescue and, and restore us to himself. It's a season for us to dive deep into God's story, into his written word, to dig a little deeper. So that's my challenge for you. We've got three weeks left until Christmas. Read the scriptures a little bit more. I'll give you a, a rough kind of way to measure that. If you tend to read the Bible once a week, let's say, Double it, open it twice. If you read it three times a week, open it six times. Um, if you're really good and read it every day, read it in the morning and read it at night. Where do you start? Well, you might start if you're a little bit brave and look at all the prophecies of Jesus. But I think, I think some, most of us can start simpler. Just read the story of Jesus, the four gospel story. When's the last time you actually took that time to read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is a good time to do that. Read it. Know about Jesus. See, at the time of Jesus, many people who saw him, knew him, heard him, they still misunderstood him. And because they misunderstood him, their hope was misplaced ultimately. Time and time again, we read about people who sought after Jesus, heard him, misunderstood, and left. Disappointed, sad. But even today, that's still happening. We are among those who say we know Jesus, aren't we? We are among those as Christians. We see Jesus, we hear Jesus in our lives, but we can also misunderstand Jesus. So Advent is a time to be reminded that God keeps his promises, not in the way that we predicted or expected, but in an unexpected, somewhat surprising way he does keep it. So let's not misunderstand it. Let's work to understand it properly. Speaking of understanding it properly, let's look at how he kept it. 
Let me read from verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. One of the most popular Advent passages, isn't it? If you grew up in church, surely you would have grown up hearing this. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. What a great passage to reflect on as well. It's a promise that God will send a child to us, that a son will be given to us, that authority will be on his shoulders, that when he comes, he'll be a great counselor. He'll be even called God Almighty. He'll be an eternal father figure of the nation of Israel. He'll be a ruler who rules with peace. It's a promise that seems too good to be true. How can all this be true of one person? No character of the Bible, whether it be Moses or Elijah or David or Solomon, could be all these things all in one go. This is amazing, but I can tell many of us are sitting there going, am I really amazed? And to be honest, when I was prepping this, I found myself difficult. I found myself in a position where I, I wasn't amazed. And I kind of asked God as I was prepping this talk, why am I not amazed by this? And one of the things that I kind of landed on is I think as Christians who live in 2022, we are spoiled by the reality of Jesus sometimes. I mean, that's not a bad thing. Like, but, but we are spoiled. Let me explain this. We are spoiled and privileged perhaps overprivileged, to be living in a time when we have access to things previous generations of Christians could scarcely think about. Think about it. We have God's holy, given word literally available to us at the touch of a finger. Just open up the Bible app on your phone. We have access to tens or thousands of sermons by the greatest preachers alive today. I mean, like, let's say this sermon doesn't hit you well or hit you in, in, in the way that you want it. You can just jump online to YouTube and find that really good preacher who preaches better than all of our, our pastors at Kingsway. It's so easy to do that. We can buy books about Christianity like that. We can Google articles online and get answers to even deep theological questions fairly easily if we have the motivation to dig deeper. And I think that this is all great, by the way, but because we are spoiled so much, sometimes I think we don't appreciate the immensity and the weight of the promise God has kept in Jesus. Because simply put, we think we know it too well. And familiar things tend not to surprise us. The first time you visit a country on holiday, everything seems new and exciting. But if you've been there 40 times over, things seem less exciting and more 
mundane, more normal. And I think that's why I've begun to appreciate Advent. Because Advent is an opportunity for us as Christians to view God's promise with a fresh set of glasses. A child, a son, an ultimate authority figure, a great counselor, God himself, an eternal father figure, a ruler of peace. He will come and fix everything that is wrong with this world. That is the promise. That he will come and fix everything that is wrong with this world. That there is a day coming that one day there will be no injustice, that there will be a peace that knows no end, that he will be a perfect king ruling a, a perfect kingdom. Two things I want us to think about as we think about God's promise kept. Jesus really did come for us. He came for us. He did. He's not just some mythological figure that we are inspired to live a better life. He is a historical figure who came and breathed the same air you breathe right now, 2,000 years ago, lived a very similar life to a lot of us and died. He came. He really, really did. And we know because of that, God kept his word. Jesus was all of these things that we read about here. He was the child born to us. He was the son of God. The son of God, are you kidding me? The son of God that was given to us. You read his stories and his teachings and you can feel that his counsel was more wiser than any other. As he spoke, when you read about it, you can tell that his authority is greater than anyone before him. And he was ultimately God Almighty, God in the flesh, God with us. I mean, in Advent, when we think about God's promise to us, do you know that it proves that God is a promise keeper? That it, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who has the authority to forgive your sin. Who said with his arrival, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. That with his coming, it is finally here. These are things that are worth reflecting on, my friends. Advent is an opportunity to reflect on God's promise. That he didn't leave us in the darkness. That our God is not a God of just empty promises so that we might feel better for a day. But he is a God who brings substance to this world. The coming of Jesus is proof that God is not indifferent to your pain, to your suffering, to your hardship in this fallen world. Because Jesus, the King who will make all things better, has come. There's this real, I think, gem of a sentence in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 20. I encourage you to memorize it. It's not a hard passage to memorize by any means, so I encourage you 
It's so simple and yet so profound. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Isn't that beautiful? For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is proof that all the promises that you read about in the Old Testament and the New Testament is true and real and for you through Jesus, in Jesus, defined by Jesus. God promises to forgive your sin. How do you know? Well, that's obvious because of Jesus. God promises to never leave you. How, how can you know for sure? Well, because Jesus came and dwelt among us. God promises to hear your prayers and answer them. Why? How do you know? Because Jesus intercedes for you beside God. God promises to meet all your needs. How do you know that? Because Jesus is enough. The list goes on and on. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. But we know, as I describe this Jesus, that all of it's not here yet. Correct? I don't know about you, but I still see injustice in the world. I still struggle with my sin. I still see evil, both in me and in the world we live in. So Advent is also about sharing in the sense of longing and waiting that the people of God felt before Jesus was born. See, in verse 7, we read about this description. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That doesn't really describe the world we live in quite, right? We still live in a world where there is pain, there's suffering, there's injustice, inequality. We still sin, both against God and against others. We still feel anxiety from time to time. We still struggle with depression. We battle through life still on a day-to-day basis. And that is where Advent causes us to feel a deep sense of hope. Hope for the future. Hope of what isn't yet present, but is certainly secured for us by God. Why? Well, again, the answer is because of Jesus. Because Jesus, not only Isaiah, but Jesus promised us that he will return. He will bring ultimate peace one day. Ultimate goodness that will never end. One day he will come back and make everything new and good. One author puts it really really quite concisely, that he will one day come back and make every sad thing come untrue. And just like the people in Isaiah's time, we don't quite know what that would look like, my friends. We don't. But we know this. God kept his promise once. Surely he will keep it again. This Advent, God is calling all of us here to trust in Him. Not only be reminded of His promise-keeping track record, 
but to take the story of the baby in a manger and trust that what God started, he will finish. Friends, Jesus was born. God kept his promise. Jesus is coming, and God will keep his promise. Well, what is the application then for us? It's very simple. Be ready. Be ready. There's a parable that Jesus gives. Uh, I won't read it all, but I'll just read the, the main point. Jesus says, And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. See that image? Our master has left for a time, and we don't know when he's returning. The temptation as servants of the house, because we don't know when he's returning, is to slack, slack off a little, right? To not be waiting for him. But Jesus encourages us, don't do that. Wait for him. Be ready. We don't know when he's going to come back. But be ready. Because our master told us he's going to come back. Be ready. Be prepared. Jesus will return. See, I didn't grow up, like I said in the beginning, um, I didn't grow up celebrating Christmas or Advent. And I think as a child, uh, uh, I missed out a lot. Uh, not just in terms of like receiving gifts and stuff, but I think when I think about celebrating Advent, I think I really did miss out. Uh, it's an opportunity to truly appreciate the coming of Jesus at the end of the year. And I think the reason why I don't appreciate it now, or until very recently, is because I never grew up with it. So we're a church of um, families. Uh, as parents, I encourage you guys, celebrate Advent with your kids. Teach them a rhythm during the hustle and bustle of Christmas the meaning of waiting for Jesus. You know, being a bit of a cynic, I've even thought that Christmas itself has become a little bit too commercialized and monetized for me to celebrate personally. Um, and I, I, I need to push back against this. Um, because I think by rejecting Christmas as a season altogether, as Christians, we miss a part of just a, a great opportunity for us to reflect. Because we don't do that often enough, do we? I realize that Advent helps us. It's, it's a God-given gift that helps us to push back against the tide of, you know, the commercialized and secular, secularized Christmas that we live through. Christmas is about presents and celebrations. Yes, of course it is. But we all know as Christians, we have the greatest reason to celebrate of all. Because God gave us the greatest present of all. We know this. So as I wrap up, my encouragement for you as we all sort of prepare to wind down the year as we celebrate and give gifts and go to our work Christmas parties and so on, I invite you to sit down in the midst of that and listen in a little to the story of Jesus a little bit deeper with your family, with your friends. Pick up an Advent devotional. Read more of the Bible, like I said before. Talk about the birth of, your, of, of Jesus to your kids Google some traditions that Christians have done throughout Advent. I encourage you to do that. God is true to his word. What he says he will do, he will do it. He has done it, and he will do it again. God keeps his promise. He has certainly kept it, and he will certainly keep it in the future. So I invite you, as I dive into the season of Advent, for you to dive in with me 
as well. Let me pray. Father, we confess that as human beings, we are creatures of habit and rhythm, and we do recognize that often we adopt uh, the, the rhythm of this world, the calendar of this world, uh, rather than the rhythm that you have given us. Lord, in this season of Advent, we vow to push back against that. We ask you, Lord, for strength to do that, to dive deep into the season of Advent and deeply reflect on the promise of God, that you are a God who really does keep your word. We see it in Jesus and we long and expect Jesus to return to prove once again you are a God of your word. So I pray for my friends here. We all have a challenge laid out before us uh, this month. It's a season of distraction, a season of, of busyness, a season of gift giving, a season where we go out and just get tied up in all the busyness. But in the midst of all of that, Lord, help them to press pause and look to you and thank you for the coming of Jesus. Thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. Help us to reflect a bit deeper. 